This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Hey everyone, how you doing today? As promised in the daily financial news, we had a very special guest coming on at 10 o'clock. He's a very good friend of mine. He's a part of the hub. He's just an all around great guy. And he is going to interview me and ask me a bunch of questions. And I don't know any of them, which is how I like to roll. I like to just react. So let's welcome Stratton Brown to the show. And uh, Stratton, the floor is yours. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on, Mike. Quick things, guys. If you guys are professionals and you're going direct to seller, or you guys need VAs of any kind, my company call positions can handle everything for you, especially for your audience, right? I feel like you're a lot more professionals who are buying rentals instead of someone like me to where it's like, I'm dropping out of college. I'm going into this full time. Or even if you are a whole full-time investor and you need VAs and you hate management, I can help you out. And that's Call Magicians, correct? Yep, Call Magicians. And callmagicians.com, you're not hiding, it's just right there. Yep, it's just right there. Um, you can add it to the show notes if you want. I and will. then if you guys want more of us, I have my own podcast called The Winning Move. And then I do a podcast with another hub member, uh, Michael Butler, that's just free agent real estate investing. <laughs> I love what you guys are doing there. That free agent show is taking off. So uh all right, let's uh, let's see what you got for questions. All right, so the first one: What sales books would you would you recommend for someone in their professional career? Right, because one thing I feel like nobody knows about you were a fantastic salesman, like world traveler salesman, right? Mm -hmm. Making six figures, like you were not a schmuck. No, right? Yeah, I was like you were really good at your job. So, what books did you read, or videos, or anything else? Because if you're a salesman, commission only, you're an entrepreneur, you just don't have overhead, right? But you still have to go out and kill shit every day. Oh yeah, yeah. So I, so I've been, I've been on a commission plan of some kind since I was 15 years old, right? Whether that was selling maintenance agreements at Sears and Roebuck, uh, the 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 largest uh, quota I had was 1.2 billion dollars, right? In sales. So, in sales, right? So second That's line nice. leader, just you know, I've I've had some pretty. In, Impressive stuff. I've taken products from zero to a hundred million twice, right? So I, I, I am, or was pretty good at what I did. So as far as things that I would recommend, the best sales book that I've ever read is not actually a sales book. Go figure. It's okay. actually something called extreme ownership. Oh, awesome. I love that book. This book is the best for sales because again, I've, I've, I've interacted with hundreds of sales, if not thousands of sales professionals. I've hired hundreds. I've fired hundreds. Um, I've helped people have record W-2s making seven figures a year. I've done it all in the sales game. And the people that succeed take ownership as that, that book kind of highlights. They don't, okay. they, they leverage team members. They understand other teams contribute, but they, they own sole responsibility. So much so that, hey, uh, there was an example sometime a decade ago where a sales uh, professional went in and clearly their technical counterpart screwed up. 
But okay. the sales professional took entire ownership, didn't throw them under the bus and said, Hey, I didn't practice. I didn't prep. I didn't see it beforehand. I, you know, it was clearly the other person's fault, but that's the type of what you need. So that's the best book I've seen. As far as being a sales leader, the best advice, there's really two things that I anchor on that, that if you were ever one of my team members, you know, we did every year, every year we get a quota and this is what we did. First and foremost, we get a quota, 2 million, 10 million, 100 million, whatever it is. And oh, by the way, last year we did 1.8 or 9.8 or whatever it is, right? Because quotas, quota, it's amazing how quotas are always a little bit more than you did last year, right? Mm -hmm. So most sales leader, they go in, go, great, we did 9.8. Now we got to do 10. How are we going to do it? That is absolutely the wrong idea. Because when you only incrementally get better, all you're doing is shaving edges. It's frankly a waste of fucking time. What okay. I want to do- What do you mean by that? Yeah, what, what do I want- um... Yeah, so what I want to do is I want to go in and blow it up. I want to go from taking a $10 million number and I want to talk about 20 million. Whatever my team or I got, I double it. Because okay. it's amazing what happens when you double the number is things break. If you only go from nine, eight to 10 million, it's like, hey, I'll do one more phone call. I'll convert one more proof of concept. You can lie to yourself and say, I'll just be a little bit better. But if you're talking about a, you did 9.8, now you got to do 20 million. You're like, oh my God, I got to market different. I got to, I got to shorten cycles. You, everything you did last year goes out the window. And right, it, the shit doesn't work anymore. It doesn't. Like it doesn't what you scale. did now to make you 10 million will not make you 20 million. Just flat, I'm it's, learning that in business flat out. Exactly. And if you could just get that off the table, it's amazing how freeing it is. Because I've done, I did this 10 years in a row. This is how those meetings go. I give everybody their sales number and we'll just pretend it's 10 million. And then the first thing I do, because everybody has it ahead of time. So there's no surprises. And oh, by the way, in sales, everybody knows everybody has a $10 million number. And I go, great. We're going to talk about how we're going to do 20 million. So the first 10 or 20 minutes, people are yelling and screaming because it's, it's, it's a very type A masculine environment. They're calling me every dirty word in the book, right? It's like, okay, get it off your chest. Are you, are you done being babies? Because I'm not talking about 10 million. I'm talking about 20. If you don't want to talk about doing 20, leave. I don't care, right? And they're like, oh shit, he's serious. I'm like, yeah, I'm serious. I'm not here to make my money. I want to make some real freaking money. You don't right. make any money in sales at 10 million. You make a gob of money at 20. Let's talk about 20. So what can we blow up, break, leverage, partner to do 20? And what we did for the next two to five hours is we just brainstormed everything. Then what we do is we break for lunch. They go do what they do. They're probably calling me every dirty name in the book. I go through, organize the whiteboard, and then I prioritize. And I go, okay, guys. What in this list of 20 things, what are the top three that are going to get us 20 million? Because I already know you guys can do 9.8. So all I got to do is find 10.2. Where is it? And we just talk okay. about that. And pretty soon we're talking. All, and all I would do the rest of the year is talk about 20. I would never bring up 10 again. So that's step number one. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That is awesome. Yeah. And then the other thing I do is I've, I've coached a lot of new companies just for friends and family and new and new entrepreneurs. And I go, okay, what do you want to do? 
and they say, I want to do 2 million or 10 deals or what, or actually we could do it right here with your business, right? Your wholesale business, right? You want yeah. to do how many deals this year, or is it a number or a deal quantity? What is it? I don't do deal quantity, right? Because okay. if I can do one deal and make a million bucks, fuck it. Yeah. Okay. So let's just say you have, a, <laughs> let's say your deal, let's say your number is 200 grand, right? Yeah. Just, I'm just making it up. So typically what happens is you can break, there's a funnel, right? There's a list of activities, right? 200's the final number. Well, how much business do you have to get in escrow? Well, you probably have to get 300 in escrow because stuff falls out. And how many, you know, and then you just work it backwards. How many leads? The, it, how well, many? And it goes all the way back. Because then what you do is you, you basically have to go back to the good behavior. And in your business, it all starts with how many, how many owners you talk to. One of the things yeah. I think wholesalers get wrong, and I bought this up on Pace Morby's Wholesale Hotline, is so many of you talk about, I'm going to talk to sellers, or I'm going to market to sellers. Wrong. It's how many owners. That's where it starts. All these people calling me, and I got like four texts this morning. Hey, is this property up? Or is that property? You're missing an opportunity. Think about it. You happen to know me, right? Wouldn't you like to get me on your buyer's list? Right. You're missing an opportunity by saying, hey, I want to buy your house on tower or whatever it is. No, you should say, hey, I'm interested in this area. It used to be a gang zone. Now it's turning around. What do you think? I mean, you could just start these conversations differently. And the other thing to realize in your business is everybody tells me it takes on average eight contacts before a contract shows up that 200 number, right? Well, you're doing yourself a disservice if your first question is, are you ready to sell? or you want to sell or something like that. Why don't you make the first two or three conversations really easy and add value to them so they actually want to talk to you instead of sending you to voicemail or blocking you or responding to a text that says ignore or stop or whatever the latest rules are. You do yourself a much better service if you treated people like owners instead of sellers. It's a subtle mind twist, but it would so impact your business, in my opinion. And, that, and it happens in all businesses. Everybody, whether you're selling t-shirts or oranges or, or you're a general contractor, it all starts up front. Too many people look at the 200 and every day they come in and talk about 200, 200. No, it's I need to talk to 17 people today and 12 of them need to call me back and at least you're in control at that point. Yeah. Well, like a, knowing your KPIs is how you get in control and you feel in control and you don't feel like a piece of shit and you're drowning, right? Because it, if you are an entrepreneur at some point or a sales guy, you've been there. Oh, yeah. Where you feel like you're just fucking running around with your head cut off, but you don't have any KPIs or any background to check and track yeah. it. If it's tracked, it improves, right? And if you don't know what's going on, you're just going to feel insane yeah. anxiety. And if, and, you, panic and, fear. and if you can get that number at the very beginning to something you could track daily, worst case weekly, you're going to feel so much more empowered because you just sprinkle it on top and then you watch it roll through. And then all you have to do is you're just tweaking variables like, oh, I'm adding more here and I've got better at converting. So now instead of doing a 10% conversion, I'm going to track 15 and oh, watch that just explode the rest of the pipeline. Yep, it's, exactly. It's pretty magical. And then I think a lot of people, you just need to hop on the phone and talk to people, right? Like you need to get at least in the wholesale game, just get used to talking to someone. I just call them, hey, what's going on? Yeah. Like someone from my office talked to you, what's going on? Yeah. And then like eventually I go to lead into it and then I can fill them out. And if it makes sense for us to move forward, cool. 
If not, no problem. Someone from my office call you again in 30 days. There you and go. then we just keep on pushing. But at least you treat them like a human. Yes. Yeah, I would tell you to treat them like owners because they are owners. And if you treat them like owners, you owners will eventually sell. They may not sell this year, but they'll eventually sell. And if they remember you as somebody that was polite and responsible and you followed up and you added value every 90 days, you're going to get a shot. Right. Um, what's next? What would you go back and change when you first started besides buying more real estate? What would you have done differently? Oh, dude, my family budget was all out of whack, right? The, okay. You know, I happen to believe that really in life, you can either focus on making more money or you could kind of manage expenses, right? Cut back. I was under the mindset, I was in the commission business and I had years that proved it, right? Oh, I need to, my bottom line sucks. I'll just add more to the top. Uh, and it works until it doesn't. Uh, and bad habits. When didn't it work? Well, ba so bad habits come in, right? Like, like one year I made 200, the next year I made 400, and then maybe I made 800. But if, you're not, if your bottom line never changes, it's because of the habits in between. Well, the money shows up, I spent it. The money shows up, I spent it. The money shows up, I spent it. I would have been a lot farther ahead if I would have just understood what a need and a want was, right? If I wanted financial freedom, I knew I had to buy assets, that assets to produce cash flow. I wasted hundreds of thousands of dollars on just nonsense, but I felt good. And I could tell, and I never went into debt, right? I paid cash or, you know, I charged yep. it and paid it off. God, if I go in my closet and I look at forty or fifty thousand dollars in just stupid things, belts, God, belts shoes. and cufflinks, yeah, dude, I have like a five hundred dollars shirt. I mean, who needs a five hundred dollars shirt? Jesus Christ. Well, and it gets it gets hard when you're in that environment, right? And I see wholesalers, dudes trying to flex all the time, like, oh, we did seven figures last year. And if you guys want to know how much they made $300,000 probably because the wholesaling business operates at a 30 to 35% margin, mm -hmm. like true profit. And so that Lambo they're driving that cost them $5,000 a month really isn't like, it's not, it's not the best place for your cash. If you're only making $300,000 a year, like it's not a lot yeah. of 300,000 is not a lot of money in the grand scheme of business. Yeah. You're right. And so that's something that you'll run into and you don't want to keep up with the Joneses. I interviewed yeah. Nick Perry the other day yeah. and Nick's like, bro, all my money just goes into big syndications where I know it's like, okay, I'm gonna get a stable return or it's going into another, he started a trucking business and he's like, I triple net lease out the trucks pretty much to a government agency. There you so go. It's guaranteed money, but he's yeah. not buying all that stuff. Yeah. That's, that, that's what I would have changed. Um, again, I, I was in a very, I mean, it, it, the environment I was in, everybody was walking around. I mean, I would go to a sales meeting. There would only be salespeople there. We wouldn't even be able to sell anything. But the average wardrobe of, that people were wearing was five grand. Yeah. It's just, and some people were wearing 20 grand, right? You add the watch, you know, the other stuff. It's just, it's, it's, it's not good. I, I should have been Nick Perry and said, you know what? I'm going to show up in, you know, off the rack stuff instead of custom. I don't need platinum when silver will do. I mean, there's just so many things I could have done different and, and we would be so much better off. Or I could have, instead of retiring at 45, I could have retired at 40. I lost five years of my life keeping up with the Joneses. And But then there's something to be said. You don't want to not reward yourself, right? Like, I don't want people to get like the wrong impression. Like you, 
still go buy nice shit when it is applicable. But what is what is, I would say there's levels to the shit. Yeah. Like know the level that you're on of like the money you could put into it. And yeah. then like when it's okay, it doesn't even phase me. It doesn't break my budget or whatever. And whatever your budget is and aligns with your goals, then I'll go get it. Yeah. But, but it sounds I was like, you didn't even have goals in place. No, I do. I was, I had a goal. It was set up by somebody else and I would just keep running at that for 20 years. And it, it's a short, it, it's a young man's game, but back to your point about celebrations. It was actually one of the biggest failures that I wrote about in my book was Olivia and I failed to celebrate the 15 year journey to freedom. I don't have any touchstone that says I can go back and look at a picture or like, I don't even have a picture of us in front of the house that we first bought and started this damn journey. Yeah. um, You've got to have memories. I call them touchstones because when the days get hard, you know, you need to go look at it. Maybe it's a, a cork from a bottle of wine. You know, maybe it's a picture at a romantic dinner. Maybe it's a walk on a beach and you pick up a pebble I mean, it doesn't even have to cost money, right? Yep. You need to be able to touch these things when the days are hard because you need a way to recharge the batteries. Real estate is hard. And being an entrepreneur is hard, but you do have successes. And if you could just have that thing that you can go back and look or touch or read, like if you had a rock from a beach, like you went to Pebble Beach, just some 17 mile drive and it was free, right? Other than the 20 bucks it costs to get in or whatever, and you just pick up a rock, put it in your pocket, which I think is technically illegal. So don't do that. But let's just say it happened. It's got stuck in your shoe or something. And then you hold it like on a, a five minute walk and you're like, okay, I feel better. I did do something. Um, your life would be a lot better. It doesn't have to be a $5,000 custom suit that you wear twice a year. I mean, it's dumb. And I mean, you need to show yourself what your life could be like, right? Like there's you don't want to just not reward yourself ever, grind, 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 because then why the hell am I making all this money? Yeah, exactly. It, it needs to go, it's okay to reward yourself a little bit. Like, hey, I'm taking me and my wife, we're going to an amazing restaurant. This is what our life could be like. We're pushing for this, blah, blah, blah. And, and then I, like, yep. okay, you're not doing it every night. But then like, you see what it's like. Yeah. Like, oh, I can do this. I deserve this. Like, it's not a bad thing. Yeah. And, and I love and I love that you did it with your significant other. You said your wife or your kid or or everybody. I think that is a great thing because we in the business that we are in, you sacrifice a lot. I worked six days a week for almost ten years because every Sunday I traveled. Right, the only day I would never travel is Saturday. Think about that. So if I would have done touchstones and said, "Hey, you know, Olivia and Teresa, Teresa, my daughter, Olivia, the wife." Hey, we're going to go to this five-star resort for a long weekend. We're going to go on a Disney cruise because my daughter liked Aladdin or one of those Disney movies when she was much, much younger. They -hmm. would have been able to hold on to that when daddy was getting on another plane on a Sunday and he wasn't home. Right. I I didn't do that. I should have had those nice things that we could all talk. And we could talk about now. Teresa is almost 30. Just imagine I could talk about those things. Huge mistake. I'm, I'm glad you're doing those things. Awesome. And then, I mean, so would another one be you wish you would have just made more memories flat out too? Because were you, obviously you're a fucking grinder. Oh yeah. Right. And one thing I try and do now is I tr- at least once a quarter, like you'll see me in Utah, right? And that <laughs> I'm there with the purpose of I'm going to make a memory with my family. We're going to do something fun because I, I'm not going to see my parents that much longer, right? Like everyone's getting old. So yeah. I want to have memories, do stuff. So I have that memory with my family. 
yeah, the, the biggest regret I have is I have half a dozen memories of when Teresa was under 18 that I mean, like are memorable uh, because I was grinding, working. And for what? Making somebody else rich for, I mean, it's, it's a shame. I think, I think every 90 days in Utah or Nebraska or wherever you choose to go is awesome. And you should continue to do that for the rest of your life. The, you know, the impact you will have on your son by doing that, you're, 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 uh, it's just going to be amazing. And then he'll bring that forward as well. It's, it's a habit I wish I had, or I wish I had created and I didn't. All right. What's the next one? Where would you, so that's what you would change. Um, how do you build great relationships with people in your market? Right. I don't even, cause our relationship with actually was organic. I think I've reached out to you after I met you working for Alan, mm -hmm. but then you have a bunch of other good relationships in our market before the channel, right? Like yeah. before the channel. So how did, did you create those relationships? And I'd like, Brad is a friend, right? Like Brad is a personal friend of yours. It's not oh, just yeah. your For property sure. manager. I'd say Maritza is a friend, like me and Kyle, like mm -hmm. friends. Yeah. How did you build those relationships from afar, traveling, blah, blah, blah? Um, well, hopefully, hopefully something I could count on is something I hold near and dear to my heart is my reputation. I believe in Warren Buffett saying it takes years or decades to build a reputation, but five minutes to destroy it. So yep. I've, I've been direct or honest because in, in this business, it's not always roses, right? I've had to call Brad and say, Brad, your team disappointed me. Um, you know, I've had to call Maritz and say, that's, that's too expensive, right? I've had heartfelt conversations, but always from um, a stance of, I just want you to know what I'm thinking, right? Well, business uh, is business, dude. Yeah. And the other thing is I, um, I treat them as friendships. I don't, I don't ever assume anything, right? I don't ask for favors. Um, I don't ask for, hey, Maritza, you're a member of the hub. Give me a deal. That's not fair, right? They run a business. Hey, Maritza, I need a quote. I might ask for faster. I mean, hey, can I get a quote in 48 hours versus three days? But I won't ask for a price discount. That's not fair. Right. Um, you know, I, I do value every friendship I have. And I have also in the very beginning, I was asking for referrals, was bouncing around. And, and I've also tried to help everybody like Scott Farrow, for example. Right. I, Scott Farrow is an agent, part of Jason Pritchard's team. Um, you know, back when he started out, it's like, OK, I'm going to give this kid some time because I could see where he's going. And it, mm -hmm. it paid off. Um, you know, I think he wrote like 70 offers for me one year before we got a deal. But man. You know, I think he learned a lot during that. Oh, I yeah. spoke with him for probably 10 or 15 hours collectively, kind of breaking it all down. We walked properties together, right? I was pouring into him. And yes, I asked him to write 80 offers. Um, but now look at him. But I mean, the value of that to him, I think is insanely immense. And But the value to you of giving back is also immense, right? Like you get to help someone reach their journey and they get to work with you personally, right? To where not very many people get direct access to someone who has a portfolio your size mm -hmm. and who has been that successful in the corporate world to where just some mindset tweaks will help a, I mean, Scott's a random dude. Yeah. Like, think about it. He was working as a fucking barista. Yeah. He was a random guy. Yeah. And then he gets this and then that'll, that'll only help his trajectory moving forward. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, there's, there's you know, when you do this long enough, you know, so people call me a go-giver all the time, which I think um, I actually haven't read that book. I probably should, 
It's a really uh, good book. I think I appreciate the title and, and I'm happy to be called that. That's, I would wear that badge with honor, frankly. But having done this long enough, you get a sixth sense. Um, I think people that I give to fall into three buckets and I, and I try to ferret them out very quickly. One bucket is the Scott Farrells of the world and the Strattons and the Adams and the Maritzas where they're, they're gonna take it, they're gonna give back where they can, but they're also, most importantly to me is you're gonna leverage my time for positive outcomes. Because a lot, my time, just like everybody else's, doesn't come back. If I give somebody a half hour and they do nothing with it, that is my failure. That is 30 minutes I never get back. I'm trying to impact people for 50 years. So if you take my 30 minutes and do something with it, I feel good about that, right? So that's bucket number one. And surprisingly, that's only like 20%. Well, it's less than that. Yeah, it's probably less than that. Let's be real. Let's yeah. be real. Then there's like 50% that are cheerleaders, right? They like to be in your aura. They like to be in your circle. They bump into you. Yeah, sure. They'll bring you something if they happen to find it, but it's not proactive. But generally it's a, I don't know. It's, 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 I don't really call those friends. Those are acquaintances that kind of just buzz about, but then there's the dangerous ones. And these motherfuckers I run away from it's the takers. You know how many people, cause I give first. Do you know how many people have reached out to me afterwards just to take, 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 take it's, it's ungodly, right? I've had people that in my aura or my arena that I give a shot that I like, I do co-marketing with sometimes they haven't paid me for that. I do some people co like I do a deal and they actually bring the deal to someone else. When I had an agreement to have first right of refusal, they ask me for introductions to my contractors. I have people like I did an interview with somebody in another state who I made a connection with. We actually did a deal with, and now they're trying to take everything in my area. I mean, there are some people out there that are just takers. Those people I ignore and cut out. And, and, and I tell everybody like Dean asked me, about one of them the other day. I'm like, dude, that guy's a taker, right? Protect yourself. So, you know, just because you're a go-giver, yeah, you could bump into takers and that could be a bad outcome. Well, I mean, again, like if they take your time, I think at this point, right? Like money's not as big of an issue for you, but I think time is. Yeah, exactly. I think time is. Time and relationships. Worth, it's worth tons. Relationships. You damage my reputation, right? The, it, the fact is there... Lots of people in my era, somebody calls them up and says, hey, I'm a friend of Mike Zuber's. That means something. Right. You damage They're my reputation. They're using your relational oh. capital. Oh, dude, you damage my reputation? We, we are not, we, we are going to have words. So yeah, it's not rarely, I mean, money's like number third. Time, relationship capital, and then money. But takers will take all three. So we got that. Um, what did you, what in the world did you do on airplanes when you traveled that much? red. I'm a, I'm a horrible traveler, right? Those little bumps in an airplane freak me out. I can't sleep right. on airplanes, international flights, nothing. But if I read and I like zoned into a book and focused, I could block most things out. So that's where I did all. And it had to be a book. I couldn't read a computer screen. It had to be a book. That's why I read, you know, that entire bookshelf back there. I read all those books because of all the hours I spent on airplanes. It's the only thing that allowed me to get through um, flights. I freaking hate flights. Okay. And um, where have you met all these amazing people on your show? Like um, the three regulars who I know, 
Um, we've talked about him. Jonathan Twomley, yeah. Anna Kelly, and then whoever the other guy is. What's his name? Greg Dickerson, Matt. Yeah, Greg Dickerson. Yeah. So first, where'd you meet them all? All online, all online. Pretty much just like my network in Fresno. I saw they were doing good things, and I reached out, added value. Usually sent them an autographed copy of my book. Um, all of them agreed to do a first show, and then I introduced the concept of potentially being an expert. All of them said yes, and all of them have tried to tried to change it at some point. Like, hey, I've been doing this for six months, and I'm like you don't know the positive impact you're having. Go back and look at the comments. Like Greg Dickerson about six months ago said, hey, I'm, you know, he's, he's got to be worth nine figures. Nine, yeah. not eight, nine. And he's like, yeah, I'm done with this. I'm like, do me a favor, Greg, go back and look at the comments. He called me back later in the day, says, okay, we'll keep going. And the dude, he'll, he'll, do, our, he'll do our show 8 a.m. on Mondays from the road. He's like, this is now part of my life. I'm going to do this at 8 a.m. regardless because he he's giving back. So um, I knew none of these individuals a year ago. None of them. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Just just networking and being a you know a, a, a positive contributor. And if you ever did start another business, what would it be and why? Um. It would probably be in some kind of education business, I think. Okay. Why? Because I think, I think that's a way you can really impact people. You know, okay. this YouTube channel, all of that. Um, I don't do any marketing on anything. Um, but I know if I wanted to, like this course I have, How to Get Started One Rental at a Time, a thousand people have taken it, right? There's a thousand people. And I know if I market it, I can help more. But mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't want employees. I don't want overhead. I don't want things that add complexities to my life, right? I get up at five something in the morning. I read a little bit. I help. I do videos. I'm generally done by 9.15. And I have the rest of the day to do whatever I want with. Um, I think if I would do marketing or whatever that other things, I could help more people, but it would also take away from my day. And right now mm -hmm. I'm not willing to make that trade off. Okay. Um, if you knew about VAs, would you have hired some in your professional career beforehand? Like, did you know about them? Yeah. So when I had a, like when I had a W-2. Like when you had a W-2, would you have hired VAs to help take off the workload, especially with the amount of money you're making? Yeah. To yes. every bureaucracy has busy work. Let's say yeah. I, one of the things that, um, you know, we should have done a lot more of is outsource menial tasks right? Because one of the things, again, my, my headcount budget, my overhead was millions of dollars, salespeople, uh -huh. pre-sales, marketing, all of that. And about 30% of our workload was busy work that certainly could have been outsourced to VAs. Yep. They would have needed some training, uh, but they could have been done. And what would that have done? That would have freed up 30% more selling hours. Yep. You know, at least 20%, maybe the 10% double checking or auditing or some nonsense. But if I could have had 20% more selling hours, back to our earlier conversation, that would have been something that should have gone on the whiteboard and never did. Remember when I talked about going from 9.8 yeah. to 20? VAs or virtual assistants should have been one of those examples. You want to talk about blow, doing monstrably, dis, demonstrate doing more next year than last year? Do something fundamentally to create 
selling or power hours or whatever you want to call it. And VAs are the right answer. And, and I am here to, to tell you, I never took advantage. It never even made the whiteboard. And that was a problem. I missed that opportunity. Right. And I think about that people about all, all sorts of people in the corporate world. Like, why don't you just use a VA? Like, okay, you pay someone a couple hundred bucks a week yeah. to handle all of that. And that's just more time with your family. And for me at this point, it's way worth it. Oh, I, I would tell you that um, there is big money in VAs um, for companies. They're not thinking about it. I, I was a I senior executive. I looked at headcounts. They, they're just not doing it. They would, they would rather pay somebody 80 grand a year to be that, you know, Salesforce jockey or, you know, CRM <laughs> jockey. Then yep. you know what? Why don't I hire a team in, in the Philippines or Costa Rica or whatever English speaking country? And let's just get more. Ba- Again, salespeople are expensive. Getting close to clients is expensive. If you can create 20% more selling hours, you win. You just win. And salespeople aren't good at busy work. No, God, no. <laughs> Jesus. Um, and what qualities do you look? Did you look for when you're hiring on a new great sales rep? Oh, that's a like. Great how did question. you know like this guy's gonna be a fucking killer? To where? And then how do you know when he's, you think he's gonna be a killer, and all of a sudden it turns out he's just a schmuck? That's a great question. So it's so first and foremost. Um, th- I, again, I can say this because I'm not employed anymore. Um, I never hired anybody in the last 15 years of my career that I didn't personally background check. I didn't give a rat's ass about your resume. I didn't give a rat's ass about the interview. Salespeople should be able to interview well. I don't know, right? So I didn't trust any of that nonsense. If I couldn't find somebody in my personal network that knew you, I would never hire you. Wow. Never. I don't care if you passed everybody's colors. I would make shit up and I would not hire you. I would personally go through my role. So like we're interviewing somebody for the Bay Area spot or the DC spot. And again, I've been in the game 25 years. I promise you, I am at least two steps away from knowing someone that knows someone that knows you. And I'm going to do everything I can to talk to them to see how good you are. Because they're going to tell me the truth. You don't know how, how many people I didn't hire that turned out to be alcoholics or whatever, because I, I checked you out beforehand. Or yeah. if it came down to a short list, I checked you out after if I didn't have a chance. I never hired anyone that I didn't, I didn't personally verify with a conversation with somebody that knew them in a past career. Just wasn't worth my risk. Salespeople are so expensive and they take time and they can blow up your year. I had quotas and goals. If I had one dud, my year's over. My sales rep can make money, but if I had one dud as a manager, I could not make my number. Yep. So the, the flat answer out is I didn't follow HR policy and I, should, I just wouldn't hire you if I couldn't personally vet you as somebody else. I don't know if that's a good answer or not, but that's the truth. <laughs> and did you ever have anybody who you did personally vet just end up not working out? It did happen. It was pretty rare though. I remember one person turned out to be an alcoholic. I remember that example, something they picked up later in life that they didn't have earlier. They had personal drama. Um, but no, that, that stance served me really well. You know how many, I avoided, I don't know, lots and lots of mistakes. Cause again, salespeople should interview well. 
it's their skill. It's like their environment. So I'd never believed an interview. It's like, they're just, they're just naturally that way. But boy, if I could talk to someone that knew you two companies ago and talk about you, you know, how you, you know, you blew up at a sales convent, you know, convention or your cus. I mean, if I could find a customer that worked with you, oh, I can find out all I want to yeah. know. There you go. And then how did you keep your people motivated? Um, we, it started with that first day. We, all we would do is talk about 20 and then we would talk about the steps to get there. I never, what salespeople don't like to do is talk about their number. Everybody knows the number, the number's 10 and they know if they're behind it. You don't need to remind them of that. These QBRs, quarterly business reviews are the most painful, uninteresting, cruel event that happens every 90 days. I hated them because they're like a, they're a, they're a, they're just an exam that you don't need. But if you talk about the 20 and you celebrate this and you bring, I would rather bring on somebody who's ahead of the game so other people could learn than what most people did is let's, let's shine a spotlight on the idiot that's not there. Right. So I would praise in public and celebrate in public and criticize in private. And I fired yep. plenty of people. Most of them were fired in non-public ways. There were occasional, you know, hangings in the public square, but not very often. Um, yeah, it, it's sales is hard. There are more bad days than good days. But if you remind people about the process and every once in a while, we'd be behind the number. Like sometimes when I went from zero to a hundred million, we were behind the number. So instead of saying, hey guys, we're behind the number, I would throw on that pipeline that we talked about. And what we would find out is something in our pipeline was wrong. Either we weren't getting enough leads or our conversion factor was wrong. So then we got to, we got to diagnose the problem. If you just yeah. point at the other side of the funnel and saying, you're behind, you're behind, you're behind, it's not helpful. Look at but the- why? Yeah, where, where was our assumption wrong? Maybe it's, maybe it's right and you just got dog shit salespeople, but who knows? right? Talk about the funnel and see where we're at. It's sales is hard. Sales leadership is hard. You got to stay positive. I, I always lean positive, but if I got to come out hard, it's usually done in private. All right. That is all the questions I have for you this week, man. That's very cool. I appreciate you doing this. It's a lot of fun. And I appreciate you having my book over your shoulder. That's a nice touch. Of course, man. I noticed. <laughs> Thanks, Stratton. Tell them again about Thanks your Callmagicians.com. We have the best trained VAs in the industry. We service a couple different industries. And yeah, if you guys want to hear more from me, I have a couple different podcasts I'm on. Thanks, buddy. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, Mike.